Well, good morning. Are y'all ready for the winter storm to hit Longview, Texas? I think I was crazy enough to go to the store yesterday and get eggs and the things that you're supposed to get when there's a winter storm coming, eggs and water and milk and bread, I guess. I got everything but bread, but there were a lot of people in the stores yesterday anticipating. I know the kids are looking forward to a snow day tomorrow, so we'll see how that, uh, how that plays out. We want to welcome those that are worshiping with us at the center and those that are coming to us uh, via the internet today. Had the opportunity to sit in a home this week of a, a family that uh, is with us every week uh, on the internet. They're just uh, sheltering in place and trying to avoid, because of uh, complications in their own medical lives, just the uh, possibility of contracting the virus. So we welcome all of those that are worshiping with us today. If you will, if you've got your Bible with you, if you'll make your way to Numbers, chapter number 16, just continuing the theme of Uh, God's call and what that looks like. You know, the church is getting ready for revival and I'm excited about that. I've got a a, a piece of paper that's underneath a glass that's in my office that I refer to. I can look at it every day and it's just steps to personal revival, what that looks like in my life, uh, beginning, uh, becoming more focused on prayer, becoming more focused on asking God for revival, seeking revival within our church and what that looks like. And we just anticipate great things. We're so excited about revival that we've obligated three Sundays in the month of January to teach and train uh, our fellowship on having gospel conversations with people and what that looks like. And we began that journey today and we're excited about Three Circles Evangelism. We're excited about the fruit that that could bring as we kind of get people up and get them motivated towards Uh, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations, looking on purpose for those that are in our lives that are far from God and trying to on purpose put ourselves in a position where we can share the gospel with them and what that might look like and uh, how God might use us in a powerful and extraordinary way to bring others to Christ. So as we move our way into February and we look forward to revival, uh, just know that I'm praying intently for you. I hope you're praying for myself and the other staff as we get ready for revival and prepare our church and our community for the work that God might do. Which brings us to Numbers chapter number 16, which is for some of you, you're going to be wondering, well, that's kind of a curious chapter uh, as we begin to think about God's call and revival and what that looks like. And the reason I chose Numbers chapter number 16, number one, I felt God compelling me to communicate with you today about the rebellion of Korah. And, and what that looks like in our own lives and how that might impact the church body and what is rebellion, what does it look like, how does it impact the body and what are the signs and symptoms that we could be personally in rebellion, what are the things that we ought to be looking for. Uh, so as we go through today, I want you to know we're going to cover the entire chapter. So think about this as just, man, we're just kind of flying by, we're giving a surface look at it, but there are some principles in here that I want to bring out to you that I'll bring out at the end of the message, just lessons that we can learn from the rebellion of Korah and what that looks like. Uh, at your own leisure, I recommend going and digging in uh, to this chapter and finding out a little bit more about what God's Word says about these men that rose up against Moses about their background and their history and what were they bringing to the table? What was driving them to this point where they would rebel against Moses and Aaron? Uh, So let's dive into God's word today and let's just take a flyby into Numbers chapter number 16, thinking in terms of God's call and the revival within our own church. You do realize that when you respond to God's call, when you're actively pursuing God's call, when you're actively obedient to what God has called you to do, I hope every one of you understand today that you're going to encounter resistance. There is going to be resistance when you are responding to God's call, when you're being obedient to what God has called you to do. You will encounter resistance. I sent a note out to all of our small group leaders this week, letting them know how excited I was to get uh, Three Circles Evangelism started, and I reminded them that, hey, it's very possible you could, in your small group, you could encounter some resistance. But I want you to be able to push through that. I want you to push through it. I want you to be able to encourage the people that are in your group. I want you to lift them up. I want you to remind them of the importance of what we're doing. I want you to begin to instill in them a desire uh, and a hunger for reaching the lost and seeking those people out. 
Jared reminded us of this last week when he was preaching. He reminded us, and I wrote this down as soon as he said it. I was very eager to write the, write the quote down. He said, there's always one. There's always one person that disagrees with God's plan. There's always one person that disagrees with God's plan. And that's what we find right here in Numbers chapter 16. We found and we've located the one person that disagrees with God's plan. The Bible says this in Numbers chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 3, and I'll read the first three verses for us. Now Korah, the son of Azar, the son of Kabeth, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, uh, the sons of Elam, and On, the son of Peleth, and these were the sons of Reuben. So these were the three principal players uh, that we're going to be looking at today. The Bible says this, that they took action. The Bible says they took action in verse number two, and they rose up before Moses. Together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown, verse number three, and they assembled together against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly? Now, it's kind of funny to me that the name Korah, the name Korah actually means bald. So I felt pretty good about that when I began the study. I began to look into what Korah's name meant. It meant actually means bald. Dathan's name, it actually means a fountain or it's a warning. Uh, Abiram, his name actually means father is exalted. The Bible says this, that these three men, along with 250 chosen men out of the assembly, men of renown, men of importance, men of significance, these men took action and they rose up before Moses. I want you to be sure and understand this, that Korah was not just simply complaining. It wasn't enough that Korah was lodging a complaint against the leadership. No, Korah's going to go many, many steps further than just simply lodging a complaint. He wants to be the leader. When the Bible says that they took action and they rose up against Moses, the implication there is that Korah wants to be the leader. Korah wants Moses out and he wants Korah in. I'm tired of this. We've gone far enough. You've driven us into the wilderness. Nobody's got a plan. I've got a better plan. I want to take over. So with 250 men of renown and his other two friends, they rise up and they come before Moses. Now, it's important for us to note that these are not just 250 guys that were just kind of hanging around. These are 250 prime, choice, key leaders in the church, if you will. These are people that were well-respected within the community. These are people that when they offered an opinion, people listened. It wasn't as though they just went out and grabbed the first 250 people that they could to volunteer. No, these were people that they very carefully selected. These were men of influence. These were men that were well-respected within the community. And Korah was going to use them in this revolt against Moses. Now, it's also important to note here that Korah, as an act of justification for what he was going to do, was kind of turning the table on Moses a little bit when he reminded them that all the members of the congregation were holy. Leviticus chapter number 11, verse number 45, the Bible says this, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I the Lord am holy. So Korah, it's not enough just that he's going to rebel here. It's not enough just that he wants to take over. He wants to offer some justification to Moses as to why he's taking over and why he thinks he can do a better job. I want to use the word of God as a springboard for this revolt that's coming against you. And I want to know, I want you to know, I'm not just simply complaining. I'm coming after your job. Did you realize, and I hope you do, that uh, God appoints leaders in our lives? You may not like Moses. You may not like what Moses is doing. You may not even like the direction that he's going. But the fact of the matter still remains is God put him there. 
Without regard to whether or not Korah really appreciated the direction that that, uh, the children of Israel were going, without regard to whether or not Korah felt like they'd been abandoned, without regard to whether or not Korah felt like they were advancing in the right direction, that didn't matter because it was God that put Moses in charge. There wasn't a general election. There wasn't some type of polling that was involved. God assigned him that responsibility. God put him in that place. And it was Korah's job to be obedient and to follow the leadership that God had put in place. I also want you to understand this morning that there is a huge difference between rebellion and disagreement. There is a huge difference between rebellion and disagreement. You and I can disagree on a lot of things. But when it goes beyond just simply disagreement, when it becomes rebellion, in Cora's case, can you just imagine no telephone, no internet, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no Twitter, somewhere in his heart, Somewhere in his mind, Satan introduced the thought that he could do a better job than Moses. And Mr. Don, he took that thought and he bought it hook, line, and sinker. He believed in that thought so much that he decided that he would go and he would meet with a couple of his close friends and say, look, here's the deal. I think I can do a better job. Dathan, Abiram, are you with me? Can we do this together? Oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I've got an even better idea. Since there's only three of us, let's go out and see if we can get some other people rallied up We don't like the direction that Moses is going. We don't like the God-ordained, God-appointed leader. Let's rally up some people and let's see if we can get this thing turned around and Korah is going to be our new leader. And so the idea is birthed. It went from just merely being a disagreement and it accelerated into becoming a rebellion. I also want you to know that I believe very deeply in my heart that God calls us to respect authority. He doesn't call us to necessarily agree with everything the people that are in authority in our lives say, but he does call us to be respectful of authority. Romans 13, verses number one and two, the Bible says this, every person is to be in subjection to the governed authorities authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God therefore therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God whoever opposes the authority is in opposition to God himself And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And so Korah and Dathan and Abiram and the 250 people that rallied up with them, men of renown, they're about to find themselves under condemnation because not only are they living in resistance and in a disagreement with Moses, but now they've fostered that and developed that into a rebellion. So Korah rebels. And then the second thing I want you to notice is Moses responds to that rebellion. In verses 4 through 18, the Bible says this, when Moses heard this, he fell on his face. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all the company saying, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his. And who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Verse number six, do this, 
Take censers for yourself, Korah, and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. Verse number 10, he says this, you have gone far enough, you sons of Levi, turning their own words back on them. He said, you have gone far enough. And then Moses said to Korah, he said this, he said, here now, you sons of Levi, is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and the minister to them and that he has brought you near. Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. Is it not enough? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? He says this in verse number 11. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. Korah's reminding him, hey, look, you guys can do what you want to to me. You can rise up all you want to against me. That's just fine. But I want to remind you, you're not rising up against me. You're rising up against the Lord. You're rising up against Yahweh. You're rising up against the God that spoke the universe into existence. But as far as Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Verse number 12, and then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and to Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we won't come up. We don't like your leadership so much. We don't like you so much. We have such great disdain for you. We're not even going to respond to your summons to come up. Is it not enough that you've brought us out of the land that was flowing with milk and honey to lit, to, for us to die here in the wilderness? But you would also lord it over us. Verse number 14, indeed, you have not brought us into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, for you have given us an inheritance, uh, you have given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come. Exclamation point. We're not coming. Verse number 15, and then Moses became very angry and he said to the Lord, do not regard their offerings. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm in any way to them. Moses said to Korah, you and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they along with Aaron and each of you take his fire pan and put incense on it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 fire pans. Also, you and Aaron shall bring his fire pan. In verse number 18. And so they each took his own censer and they put fire on it and they laid incense on it. And they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. In verse number 19, it says this. Thus Korah assembled the congregation against them in the company of the tent of meeting, in the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. I want you to just kind of get your mind wrapped around what this looks like. Aaron's the priest. And now it's not enough that Aaron's the priest. It's like, Korah, you and all your guys, your 250 men and your other two co-conspirators, you bring your fire pan, you bring your censer, you bring your incense. You're going to be burning that before the Lord. Only the priest is allowed to do that. Now, I don't know at this point if those guys were beginning to kind of scratch their head a little bit and say, hey, hey, we might have gone too far here. Did you note that the person that was leading the revolt, the rebellion, obeyed Moses? Did you note that Korah that had so much disdain for Moses' leadership that could not stand the fact that he was being led in a direction that he didn't agree with, felt like he could do a much better job of leading he responded to the instructions that Moses gave him. 
I just thought that was very interesting. Now, Dathan and Abiram, they refused. We're not coming. I don't know what you got cooked up. I don't know what you think you're trying to do, but I'm telling you right now, we're not coming. We're done. We've gone far enough. You've led us astray. We are finished. We're done with you. And I just wonder what role these unmet expectations had on this rebellion. I just, I just wonder what role these unmet expectations had. These guys were upset. They were grieved. You didn't bring us into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. We're going to die out here in the wilderness. We're not coming. Now, Moses also pointed out there, and I pointed it out a while ago, that, you know, he reminded Korah, hey, look, you're not gathered up here against me. If you think by some crazy idea that you've gathered up all these people and you've, man, you've come and you've just brought all this stuff to my doorstep. No, you're not rising up against me. You're rising up against the Lord. You're rising up against the God that spoke the universe into existence. That's who you're grieved with, not me. And then Moses reminds Korah when he uses this statement, Korah, is it not enough? Is it not enough, Korah, that you get to serve in the tabernacle? Is it not enough, Korah, that you get to stand and minister to the people? Is it not enough, Korah, that God brought you near? Is it not enough? Now, that's a question you and I could ask ourselves today. Is it not enough? Is it not enough that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us? Is it not enough that Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he's coming back? Is it not enough that he loves us that much? He's reminding you, you've already got a place of service. God's using you in an extraordinary way right now to minister to the people. Is it not enough that you're fulfilling your role that God has assigned to you? Is that not enough, Cora? Is it not enough? And then he reminds us in the text that the, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. The glory of the Lord, the abundance, the glory, the honor, the reverence. It's all there. And the people can see it with their own eyes. I don't know if that excites you or not, or I really have no idea, but can you imagine being present when the people are able to experience seeing the glory of the Lord? Verses 20 to 24, God's going to respond. Korah's rebelled. Moses has responded. Now let's see what God has to say. God's going to respond. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them instantly. Verse 22, but they fell on their faces and they said, oh God of the spirits and all flesh, when one man sins, Will you be angry with the entire congregation? And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And we're reminded here that you and I, when we're choosing the relationships that we choose to engage in, we ought to be very careful how we choose our relationships, how we choose our friendships. Now, these guys have known each other for a long time. Obviously, they knew each other well enough where they thought this was a good idea and they could rise up against Moses and Aaron, not thinking twice about the fact that the real uprising was against God himself. I'm telling you, we need to be careful when we choose our friends who do we associate with? What are we being drugged into? 
These guys never got the opportunity to ask those kind of questions. But we're reminded that we ought to be able to choose. We ought to choose our friends wisely. We're also reminded here that our sin impacts the whole community. My sin in my life impacts every one of you that are seated in this room. My sin that I committed yesterday, my sin that I'm going to commit today, and my sin that I'm going to commit on into the future impacts every single person seated in this room, every single person watching over the internet, every single person that's seating in the center. Our sin impacts other people. We do not have the luxury of living in a bubble. God brought Moses and Aaron together and said, you know what? Get back away from these people. I'm fixing to eliminate this instantly. I'm not going to have it. In case you were wondering if God likes rebellion or he embraces rebellion against himself, the answer is no. And we are each accountable for our sin. And God does in fact appoint and assign leaders and authorities for us to follow. And we we find ourselves rising up against those leaders and authorities that God has placed before us. You're not rebelling against that leader or that authority. You're rebelling against God himself. Now, the second thing I want to bring to your attention here is God is going to rebuke this rebellion. God's God's about to get this taken care of. Hey, you know what? Moses, Aaron, get away from the, I'm fixing to eliminate everyone. Listen to what he says in verse number 25. And then Moses arose and he went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. You just need to know all these men, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, they all served in the tabernacle. I don't have a physical address for them. But I'm going to assume that their tents were in close proximity to the tabernacle because that's where, that was their place of service. So Moses rose up and he goes over to the tent of Dathan and Abiram with the elders who are following him. And in verse number 26, and he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in their sin." Get away, don't touch anything, just get completely away or you will be swept away in all their sin. And so they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Now, Dathan and Abiram, they come out and they stood at the doorway of their tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Oh, look, honey, Moses has come to visit They don't like Moses. They have a high level of disdain for Moses. They rose up against the God that gave Moses the responsibility to lead. So here they are in the doorway of their tent. They've got their wives and they've got their kids and they've got their sons. Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds. (laughs) Says this, For this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth, and it swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. Now that's a mouthful of instruction. Verse number 31 says this, and when he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened up its mouth and it swallowed them up and their households and all the men that belonged to Korah with their possessions, and so they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Verse number 34, all Israel 
who were around them, they fled in their outcry, for they said, the earth may swallow us up. Now, that's a pretty spectacular event. And then he goes on to say this, and then fire also came from above, came from the Lord, and it consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the, the earth just swallowed entire families and men all at one time, and then fire came down from the Lord and incinerated these 250 rebels, these 250 men of renown, these 250 community leaders, this 250 men of influence. In an instant, they were gone. And then Moses gets this command and say, Moses, tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up all the censers, that he shall take up all the censers in the midst of the blaze and because, because they are holy and you're to scatter the ashes, you're to scatter the ashes. And then verse number 38, as for the censers, these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets of plating uh, for the altar. Since they did present them before the Lord and they are holy. And they shall be a sign to the people. So Eleazar the priest, he took the bronze censers, uh, which the men who were, who, who, uh, which the men who were uh, burned and, he, and they offered. And he said this, and he said, and they, he hammered them out into these sheets and placing them, uh, placing them onto the altar as a sheeting, as a reminder, as a reminder of the sons of Israel that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near the Lord and burn incense before the Lord so that he will not become like Korah and his company. Just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. These guys living in close proximity to the tabernacle, Moses gets up, you know, they've decided, hey, you know, Dathan, Abiram, they're not coming. That's okay. I'm coming to you. You won't come to me. That's fine. I'm going to come to you. I just wonder at what point these men begin to start feeling the pressure of the situation. Was it when they found out Moses was coming? Was it when he was walking up the driveway? Was it when he drove his car into their driveway and he got out and he said, hey, just come for a little visit. Just want to tell you some things that are on my heart. Bible says that the earth opened up its mouth and it swallowed them. Followed by fire came down from the Lord and it consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And then just as a reminder, just so nobody would forget, hey, let's take all those bronze censers, let's hammer them out into some plating, and let's put that on the altar so we can look at it every week. Just as a reminder, just to keep it before us, just to keep it fresh. So I'll just remind you that this group of people, this congregation, they've gathered around and they've just watched the earth split open Families descended into Sheol, the earth swallowed back up. God sent fire down and consumed 250 men of renown, 250 leaders in the community, which brings us to the people respond. You just have to ask yourself, man, what a dynamic day. The presence of the Lord is apparent in the tabernacle Man, you're not going to believe this. The earth swallowed up and Korah and Dathan and Abiram, boom, they were consumed. They were gone. Not even, not even, the story's not even over. Right after that happened, God sent fire down and 250 of our leaders were consumed by fire. We're getting away. The earth could swallow us up. How do the people respond? One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Numbers. Chapter number 16, verse number 41. But the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
saying, you are the ones who cause the death of the Lord's people. Can you just imagine? <laughs> Moses didn't want the job anyway. Moses responded to God's call. God used him in an extraordinary way, one of the greatest biblical characters of all time, been one of the greatest leaders of all time. This uprising comes up, not against Moses, but against God himself. God rebukes that by dealing with the people that were involved, by eliminating them completely. And what happens the very next day to the congregation? They grumble against Moses. I can tell you with absolute certainty, in the Bible, every single time, God's people grumble there's a negative consequence. Look it up. Follow it. Every single time God's people grumble, there's a negative consequence associated with the grumbling. I, I was talking about this chapter once downstairs, and one of our church members was there, and I was just, you know, kind of talking to them. I was like, you know, man, it's kind of funny. Man, these guys rose up against Moses. These people are grumbling against him. It's just, you know, and, and this person looked at me and said, do you think I'm a grumbler? I didn't know how to respond. I really didn't know how to respond because it, in my experience, this person was a grumbler. So, Mr. Richard, I was trying to be kind. I didn't want to, you know, do you think I'm a grumbler? I don't know. Are you a grumbler? Are you a grumbler? But the very next day, the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you're the ones who caused the death of these people. It came about, however, that while the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned, that they turned towards the tent of meeting. And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. The glory of the Lord. And then Moses and Aaron came into the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. We, we just had this lesson the day before. And they fell on their faces, and Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put it in the fire from the altar and lay incense on it and then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has come forth from the Lord and the plague has begun. And then Aaron, he did, he took it, he took and he did as Moses had spoken and he ran into the midst of the, he ran into the midst of the assembly for behold, the plague had begun among the people. And so he put on the incense and he made atonement for the people. And verse number 48 says this, and he took a stand between the dead and the living. That's significant for you and I. And he took a stand between the dead and the living. In verse number 49, but those who died in that place were 14,700 besides those who died on account of Korah. The people that died of the plague, 14,700, besides those who died on the account of Korah and his rebellion and his disobedience. And then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting for the plague had been checked. You know, it's kind of crazy the, the last, you know, nine to ten months of our lives with all this virus and, you know, not, not many of us have been exposed to anything that could be considered to be a plague or where there's any kind of widespread infection or anything like that. And we're having to make some adjustments and we're having to, it's kind of changed the way we live life. We've got masks and we have to stay six feet away and we've modified how we can respond to God's message today, you know, whether or not people will be able to come down to the altar. Should we stay six feet apart and all these kind of things? And I'll just remind you that in an instant, God stopped that.
It wasn't some kind of fast-track vaccine. It wasn't Operation whatever the thing is that, you know, was coming out of the rapid speed. It wasn't Operation Rapid Speed. It wasn't some pharmaceutical company out there that's trying to make a vaccine. It wasn't some doctor over in the UK. It wasn't some doctor that was coming out of China. It wasn't somebody at some medical school here in the United States of America. No, God stopped that. And when we ask ourselves, are we living in rebellion against God? Are we rebelling against God? Well, we have to ask ourselves, where in the world are we putting our faith and trust? The death toll was 14,700 in addition to the chorus group. There was significant loss of life. Aaron offers atonement. The plague ceases. There's a lot going on here in this chapter. This chapter is all about God's power and God's authority. This chapter is all about obedience. This chapter is all about responding to God's call. This chapter is all about listening to what God is telling us to do. I can tell you what, you know, February 20th may roll around. Maybe there'll be a revival. Maybe there won't. But a lot of it's going to have to do with how prepared are we for revival? How hungry are we for revival? How desperate are we for revival? Had somebody indicate to me yesterday via uh, a message, I thought it was uh, a very enlightening message, or I I wasn't aware, but I, I was made aware yesterday that everybody in this room is saved. Now, I don't believe that. Now, I love every one of you, and I'm excited to be able to be up here today. I'm excited to be able to deliver this message today. I believe God's Word is true, and I believe with all my heart, not every person in this room, not every person in that center, not every person that's watching via the Internet, not every person saved. Rebellion can come from the best of them. This wasn't a bunch of ragtag guys that just kind of got together one day and said, hey, let's see if we can instigate, instigate a rebellion. No, these were people that were in the service of the tent of meeting. These were people that God had set apart. These were men that God had drawn near to them. These were leaders. I jotted down four things that we can learn from the rebellion of Kor. They're right there at the bottom of your bulletin today. Number one, before you respond to anything, before you jump on board with rebellion, before you jump on board with grumbling, before you jump on board with complaining, seek God's wisdom. Colossians 3, verse number 16, the Bible says this. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Proverbs 8, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says this. For wisdom is better than jewels in all desirable things cannot compare with her. Verse number 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discernment. Luke 2, I'm sorry, Luke 21, verse 15, the Bible says this, but I will provide you eloquence and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to oppose or refute. Proverbs 3, verse number 13, blessed is a person who finds wisdom and one who obtains understanding. What what would it have been like if Dathan and Abiram, before they acted, before they said, I will, what would it have been like for those two men to seek God's wisdom. 
That's what happens when we become obsessed and fixated with unmet expectations. They were unhappy. They were disgruntled. They were not pleased with the direction. And the first opportunity they had to get off the train, they took it. Second thing we ought to be aware of is that we ought to select our friends carefully. Proverbs 22, verses 22, 24 and 25, I'm sorry. Do not make friends with a person given to anger. Do not make friends with a person given to anger. Or go with a hot-tempered person. Or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourselves. Pretty simple. Psalm 1 and verse number 1, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Luke 11, verse number 23, the one who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 and 34, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Verse number 34. Sober up morally and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And then the third thing I want you to be aware of is our sin impacts the entire community. Luke 8, verse number 17, the Bible says this, for nothing is concealed that will not become evident. Nothing is concealed that will not become evident, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Nothing is concealed. Not one single thing. Not one single thought, not one single idea, not one single phone call, not one single email, Nothing is concealed that will not be revealed. Verse number four, God demands we respect his authority. I read that for you in Romans 13, verses one and two, that we're all to be subject to the authorities that God has in our lives, that we ought to be mindful and respect the authorities within our lives. Korah, Dathan, Abiram did not respect Moses or Aaron. And that was a fatal flaw in their character. And it led directly to their being eliminated from their existence on planet Earth. If you're seated in this room today and you don't think rebellion against the Lord is a big deal, you're mistaken. If you're seated in this room today and you think for some reason that you're going to be able to get away, that you're going to be able to escape some accountability in your rebellion against God, you're mistaken. As we come to a close today, I want to invite you to be aware because we are preparing for revival. We are anticipating God doing great things in our revival. We are anticipating, feeling, acknowledging, dwelling in the presence of a living God right here in this place. And I'm begging you with everything in me today, if you're not ready for that, if for some reason you find yourself in a place of rebellion, I'm just going to beg you to repent from that today. It may be that you find yourself in a place today and you find yourself as the author of our three circles material mentioned to us this morning that you find yourself far from God today. I want you to know that just as Moses reminded Korah and Abiram and Dathan, is it not enough that God brought you near. 
God desires for every single person seated in this room to be drawn near to him. You cannot draw near to him if you're separated from him because of your sin. Now I want you to know that there's a penalty for sin. And it was demonstrated clearly in the text today. These men sinned against the Lord. And the penalty for their sin was death. Just the same as the penalty for your sin and my sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But I also want you to know this. That God loved us so much. That he gave his only son Jesus. If we believe in him, we'll not perish, but we'll have everlasting life. God demonstrated that love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you've heard it a thousand times before. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And I'm telling you, it's not just enough that you believe that's true. It's not just enough that you acknowledge it as truth. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's a whole lot of people that know Jesus. I'm wondering if he knows you. Would you pray with me today? Father God, I love you. Uh, I just praise you and thank you, God, for your holiness. I thank you, Father, that uh, because of our personal relationship with Jesus, Father, that atonement has been offered. Jesus stood in the way between death and life. And he's made a way, Father, for us to experience life through a personal relationship with him. And so, Father, I pray for the men and women that are in this room. I pray for those that are gathered at the center. I pray for those that are watching on the internet. Father, I pray for those that find themselves with a rebellious attitude today. I pray, Father, that they would repent from that rebellious attitude. I pray, Father, that they would seek to draw near to you For those that need to know Jesus today, Father, I pray that the Spirit would move in their lives and today for the first time they might confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, simply praying to God and saying, Father, thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Lord, today I confess with my mouth Jesus as Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for standing between death and life and making a way for me to experience eternal life. Father, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for the power of his shed blood. And these things I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.